A man, he's a clock collector, collects clocks. But what's interesting about this clock collector is that he collects clocks thinking that by collecting clocks, he will gain more time. And of course, you realize that's foolish. Because clocks are great. They tell us how to measure time, keep track of time, but they can't give you more time. And as we've been walking through Ecclesiastes, we've run into a lot of clock collectors. In other words, they have sought to find meaning in life from work and possessions and pleasure. And yet the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us, you know, all these things, you can enjoy them in life, but they cannot give you life. And so you have those collecting clocks trying to gain more time instead of surrendering their lives to the one who created time. Because you see, you know, we all have this craving for eternity in our hearts. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes has told us, that we have eternity in our hearts. God has set eternity in our hearts. And so we crave Him. We crave eternal things. We want to know why we're here. We want to know what's the meaning of life, and we want to know God. And what's interesting about the book so far is that he has shown us how we have sought meaning through uh, our work and pleasure, possessions, etc. And uh, we have approached all these areas of life the way we want to approach them. And in the end, we realize we need to approach God. We need God. And then we think that, well, we can just approach God. And Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, hits the pause button there. And as we move into chapter 5, he's telling us, you do need to approach God, but you need to approach God the way He wants you to approach Him, not the way you want to approach Him. So just realizing your need for God is one thing, but also you need to realize you need to come to God on His terms, not on your terms. And so what we're dealing with here is worship. How are we worshiping God? What is involved in how we approach God and come to know God and follow God. Well, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, what he's going to do is he's going to walk through and show us how the fool approaches God. And he's going to show us three ways, three foolish ways that the fool approaches God through his sacrifices, through his prayers, and through his vows. So let's look at the first way the fool approaches God, and that is through his sacrifices. Look at verse 1. The writer writes, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Now when you see the phrase house of God, your mind should automatically go to the temple of God in the Old Testament. So when you see house of God, think the temple. And the temple was a place of God's special presence among His people. And the temple was a place where God's people would come and deal with their sin. They would offer sacrifices. And they would also learn about God there as well. And so this was a special place for the people of God. And the writer tells us that it's better when we approach God to guard our steps, think about how we're approaching God, to listen These are better ways to approach God than with a foolish sacrifice. So now, what is a a sacrifice of fools? Well, most likely he's referring to an animal sacrifice. In the Old Testament, 
You know, the people of God would offer up an animal sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sin. And all of these sacrifices pointed forward to the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So all of that's leading up to the, how God is going to ultimately provide for sin through Jesus Christ. And so when he references sacrifice here, he's speaking of an animal sacrifice that would be brought to the temple and be sacrificed for the sin of the person. And what makes this sacrifice a sacrifice of a fool is the way in which it is offered. It was, it was mechanical. It was disconnected from faith. It's the whole going through the motions. Externally, it looked fine. But there was a disconnect there. It was, there was a hollowness to how it was being presented. And this is a, this is a perversion this is, how, this is a perversion of how God has prescribed to be, approach, be approached. And what this tells us is that you can seem to be approaching God rightly. Just looking on the outside. But in fact, what you're doing, in the, in the words of Ecclesiastes, is evil. Isn't that interesting how he says... He brings a sacrifice to the house of God and he doesn't know what he's doing is evil. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 15 verses 7 through 9. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so you see this disconnect between what we do and who we are inside. There's a disconnect between our external behavior and our internal reality and where we stand with God. It's like the story of, this, of the mother who was driving down the road and had her little boy in the passenger seat. And he kept standing up and jumping up and down on the seat. And the mother said, Son, you have to sit down while I'm driving because if you don't, and I had a a crash or I wrecked wrecked into something, you would go flying through the window. Well, and the little boy said, I'm going to stay standing. I'm not sitting down. So the mother tells him again, Son, you need to sit down. And the little boy says, No, I'm not going to sit down. Well, then, mothers, you know what comes next. She grabs the little boy, sits him down, and says, You need to stay seated. Well, then the little boy looks at her and says, on the outside, I'm sitting down. But on the inside, I'm standing up. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying here. On the outside, everything looks good. You're you're checking the boxes. You're doing what you are supposed to do. But on the inside, you're standing up. In other words, you're not engaged in what you're doing. You're doing what you're doing out of a wrong motive or a disconnect. In a, you're, not, you're not in a relationship with God. You're not doing it by faith, in other words. And so you think about this. You know, we don't offer up sacrifices to God anymore, animals. We don't do that anymore because Jesus has paid for our sins. So we don't need to do that any longer. But yet we can still fall into the same type of external religious activity disconnected from faith, Right? I mean, you all can come to worship, even this morning. You can come in here, you can sit down, you can open the hymn, you can sing the words, you can hear the prayer of confession, you can listen to the sermon, you can get up and sing at the end and leave. 
And everything looks fine. But you can just be doing it because that's just what you do. I go to church, the worship service on Sunday, because that's just what we do. So what we've always done, we'll continue to do it. But, but is there substance to it? Is it? Or is it hollow? I mean, is this activity full of faith? I mean, are, are you anticipating meeting with the Lord? And what's interesting is I see this in my own life at times as well, in that we tend to make worship about us. What I can get, or what, what I enjoy, or who I will see, instead of realizing that, you know, when we come together to worship the Lord, it's really all about Him. You know, I love the hymn, Holy, 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 because what it tells us is that, you know what, God is different than you. He's set apart. And we're going to look at that more in just a minute. But that means when we come to worship Him, we're, we're coming to turn our eyes to Him and to, to exclaim His worthiness. It's not really about us. Whatever we get out of it is a consequence. But it's really all about Him. And Solomon, or the writer of Ecclesiastes, is saying, you know, you're going through the motions, you're offering up the sacrifice, but it's hollow. You're not doing it out of faith. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So although we may not bring sacrifices of animals, we're still bringing sacrifices, right? We're bringing sacrifices of praise. We're bringing the sacrifices of our behavior and what we do. But he says we're doing it out of this acknowledgement of who God is, His name. And so it's flowing from a relationship with God. And so we need to approach God the way God has prescribed that we approach Him. And the writer tells us that we need to guard our steps and listen. We need to be thoughtful when we approach God in worship. So the first foolish way we approach God is through our sacrifices. The second foolish way we approach God is through prayer. Now, you may say, well, Ron, are you telling me I shouldn't pray? I mean, isn't prayer a good thing? And I would say, absolutely, it's a good thing. We spent all Wednesday night in prayer. It's a good thing. But we can misuse prayer in at least two ways. And the writer gets to both of those ways in verses 2 and 3. Verse 2, he writes, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. So there's two ways we misuse prayer. The first one is that we forget who we're talking to. Have you ever seen that uh, TV show, Undercover Boss? You know, this TV show, Undercover Boss, you have like a CEO of a major company. Let's say a CEO of Target, for example. I don't know who the CEO of Target is. I don't know if it's a man or a woman, but the CEO of Target, okay? Let's say the CEO of Target, uh, you know, puts on a disguise and pretends like uh, he or she is being hired as a cashier at the local Target. And so the undercover boss will go undercover as a new employee and just kind of see what's happening at the grassroots level. 
And so they interact with employees. Sometimes this interaction goes well. And they find loyal employees that are doing a great job. And, and they're finding you know, faults in the system and different things like that that they need, they need to improve on in their business. And other times they find employees that, you know, are not very happy, not very good. They're not working very hard. And they're like bashing the company. They're taking breaks. They're not working very well. And they're telling this new employee, oh, yeah, you can just take breaks as much as you want. They won't know. Just this is how you get around this. This is how you get around that. And you're watching the show and you're seeing the employee talk to their CEO this way, but they don't know us, know us the CEO. And you're thinking to yourself, if you only knew who you're talking to, you know, you wouldn't be saying these things. And I think that's what the writer is getting at here. He's saying, you know, you need to be careful with the words you say because you need to think about who you're talking to. And the writer says, you know, God is in heaven. You are on earth. In other words, you need to realize who he is. You know, parents, you may can relate to this, and, and grandparents, and you know, hopefully everyone, I think you can all understand where I'm coming from with this, but, you know, children, as your children grow older, they, they you know, kind of learn how to navigate socially, and they pick up different habits and different ways of speaking to their friends and different things like that. And so they have, you know, their kind of the playground conversation that they have, and then they have their classroom type conversation that they do you know there's some differences there well sometimes the children they they get used to talking to their friends in the playground and they bring that same type of conversation the way they speak to their friends they try to bring that home and try to talk to the parent that way and you know that doesn't go over very well and that's when dad has to say son don't you don't talk to me that way I'm not your friend on the playground. You don't talk to me with that tone. You may talk to your friends like that, but you don't talk to me like that. Now, if the parent says that, is the parent saying, well, I don't love you. You you know, you can't approach me. No, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, I am your father and you need to approach me in a respectful way. Approach me all you want to. Ask me whatever you want. That's okay. But you approach me in a certain way. And I think that's what we see in this passage. When we come before God, we need to recognize He is God. Yes, He is loving. Yes, He is gracious. Yes, He is merciful. In Christ, we can call Him Father. But He is the Father. And we need to approach Him with respect. We can't lose sight that He, in fact, is God. So the first way we misuse prayer is that we forget who we're talking to. We're talking to the God of the universe, who is our Heavenly Father. The second way we misuse prayer is we think that our prayers gain God's attention by the amount of words or the types of words we use. I don't know if this is going to hit home with you, but it it hit home with me. Uh, Because oftentimes I come, I, I, I think to myself, well, if I would just pray more, then God would do this, that, or the other. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray more. I think prayer is a good thing. But I can fall into this trap of thinking, if I would only use more words, right? If my prayers were longer. If I could throw in a few more these and thous. Then God would say, oh, did you hear that? Shakespearean English. 
That's a spiritual man right there. I'm going to answer his prayer. And that's what Solomon's getting at in verse 2 when he says, Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness or business, and a fool's voice with many words. See, when you work hard, you, you sleep hard and you dream. And then you wake up, your dream is gone. It's all fantasy. It doesn't accomplish anything. And so what he's saying is, just like a dream is gone, doesn't accomplish anything, many words, that doesn't accomplish anything with God. Just because you rack up your vocabulary, you throw an extra word in there, that doesn't, that doesn't sway God one way or the other. That's not how it works. You can't manipulate God by your vast vocab- vocabulary or the length of your prayers. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. I love that. Do not heap up empty phrases. Just throwing them on top. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know, oftentimes we see God, I know I'm guilty of this, and maybe you find yourself in this place as well, where you begin to see God as like a big vending machine. And you think, well, if I can just put this coin in here, add a few words like this in there, make my prayer longer here, then I can hit the button and out comes my snicker bar. You know, we think, well, if I can just use this language, pray for this long, throw in this biblical phrase, then God's going to say, oh, he used the right wordage, I'm going to answer his prayer. In other words, we use good things that we should be involved in, sacrifices, prayers, we use them to try to manipulate God to get what we really want. Which is not God, but it's the things that God can give. You know, we're not interested in knowing God, loving God. We just want what God can give me. And therefore, I hit the buttons, put in the coins, prayer, sacrifice, attended church, read my Bible, bing, bang, boom, add it all up, hit the button, out comes a snicker bar. That's how I think it works, but that's not how it works. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us. That is not how it works. That is a hollow form of Christianity, devoid of faith, devoid of relationship, and that is not how God works in the lives of His people. And so we see a foolish approach to God is somehow using sacrifices and prayers to try to manipulate God. And the last way he points out here in this passage is the foolish way that we use our vows. Listen to verses 4 through 7. It says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe, or pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Now you may be thinking, well, Ron, I can't think of many vows 
that I've made before the Lord. And that's not really a word that we use very often, vow. Um, But let me just give you one example, uh, probably the most popular example of a vow that we make before the Lord. Some of us have made before the Lord. It goes like this. For richer or poorer, for sickness and in health, till death do us part, to love and to cherish till death do us part. That's a vow, wedding vows. Exchange our vows. And many of us, we have done that before the Lord. We are making a vow before God. And that's probably one of the most common vows that uh, we, we do not tend to and we break. But there are other vows as well. Uh, and a vow is simply a promise. You know, maybe you all have made a promise to the Lord. You told the Lord that, Lord, I, 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 I promise I'm going to do this. Or I'm not going to do this. And what he's saying here in this passage is that if you've promised it, then you should fulfill it. And if you don't fulfill it, then it is sin. And what, what do you do then? Well, you need to confess it as sin. And thank Him for His forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And then he says, it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. And so, God doesn't tell you to go out making promises to Him. But when you do, you should fulfill it. And if you don't, it's sin. You know, I was listening to, we were doing a finance study during Sunday school. And one of the speakers said that he and his wife sat down... Uh, several years ago and drew a line in the sand and said, you know, this, this is how much money we're going to live on. And he was, he was explaining this like this is a, we, we told the Lord, this is, this is how much money we're going to live on and anything above that we're going to give away. Well, that's a vow. He made a promise. This is it. Now, God didn't tell him to make that promise. He just did it. And so the scripture teaches that if you make a promise, then you should fulfill it. And if you don't or you can't, then you need to confess it. And ask God for forgiveness and move forward with wisdom. Because the, the, the problem with vows is the same thing with sacrifices and prayers. What we're doing is, and maybe you've done this before, I know I've done this before. You say, well, Lord, I promise if you would just do this, then I will do this. Or I won't ever do that. And you see the problem with that is you're going back to the vending machine mentality. You're bargaining with God. Which is the same reason the writer said, you know, sacrifice, you think it's appropriate, but it's actually evil when you do it that way. Prayers, if you think you can manipulate God by saying a bunch of words or linking together some, some really cute phrases and then God's going to somehow you know, reward you for that. Or if I just promise God enough, then God's going to give me what I really want. See, all these are ways that we, we seek to manipulate God and God will have no part of it. And at the very end, in chapter 5, verse 7, he says, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. In other words, when we approach God, we need to approach Him the way He wants us to approach Him. Not the way we want to approach Him, but how does He want us to approach Him? And all throughout the scripture we read about the way we approach God is through faith. Trusting in who He is. 
This is a relationship. Wouldn't it be just disturbing if you were to see a child asking his parents for things but hating his parents? Like He, he didn't really care to know his parents. He just wanted what the parents give him. You would say, that's unhealthy. That's, that's just not right. And yet, I think what this passage is getting at is that that's how we treat God at times. That we seek what God can give us rather than seeking God Himself. We want God's gifts, but we don't want the gift of God. So the Scripture teaches we approach God by faith, which means trusting God, believing His Word. We know in, in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it's impossible to please God. And we see all throughout the Scripture as we go into the New Testament, the way we approach God through faith is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And here's what's interesting. In Christ, we're placed in a relationship with God. And it's through faith in Christ that we grow in our relationship with God. It's not, in, it's not through Christ that we enter a relationship with God and then we just pile together these religious activities and that's how we grow. Now, these activities can be good things, but they need to, need to be uh, exercised out of faith. That same faith that saved you is that same faith that will sustain you and make you into the person God wants you to be because that's how God works in our lives through faith. And so as we lift up our sacrifice of praise... As we pray, as we seek to follow the Lord, it needs to be connected with faith. Instead of treating God as a, as a vending machine that we are trying to manipulate to get what we want, we need to be motivated by a love for God and a desire to trust Him and know Him. And I hope this morning even that, that you'll be propelled, propelled on a journey that uh, focuses on your relationship with God and to know Him. And I hope that as you, as you walk with God today and throughout your life, that you'll have a growing desire. You'll have a growing desire that will begin to, to shift inside you that you'll be shifting from the things of God, what God can give you, but your desire will be growing to actually know God Himself. And I think that's the thrust of this passage, that yes, we need God. Everything in this world is vanity, it's temporal, it's fleeting. It can't satisfy you. We need God. But we need to approach God the way He wants us to approach Him. And that is through faith in Christ. Let us pray together. Lord, thank You for this Word to us this morning. Thank You for challenging us and how we approach You. Lord, I know I'm often guilty of formulating some equation. That if I do this and plug in that with a little bit of this, that You'll perform for me and do what I want You to do. But Lord, we see clearly in this passage that you cannot be manipulated. But what you desire is that we trust you, we love you, we, we grow in our knowledge of you. And whether you answer our prayers with a yes, no, or wait, that we can trust you. And Lord, I pray this morning as we even lift up our voices in this final hymn, that we would not allow just the, the words that come off our lips that they may seem to worship you, Lord, but I pray that our heart would be connected, that we would, in fact, be worshiping you as we sing. And then as we leave this place, that as we go into our neighborhoods and our families and our, 
workplaces and all the things that we do, Lord, that from the inside out, that you would allow our behavior, that you would help our behavior to uh, just rise up to you in worship. And it would all flow from a, a relationship with you through Jesus Christ by faith. Lord, show us ways that we're treating you like a vending machine or trying to manipulate you through our service. And help us to be quick to confess those and be quick to uh, walk with you, live for you uh, out of faith, believing that you're going to do what you want to do in our lives. You're capable, you're able, and that we can face every situation in our future because of your love for us in Christ. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.